Are you struggling with your forehand in disc golf? Well, today we have the fix for you. We sit down with Caroline Henderson, who has an amazing forehand and really showed it at the Las Vegas Challenge to start the 2023 disc golf season. We sit down with her, learn more about her disc golf journey, her ongoing contract negotiations, as well as how you can become a better disc golfer by improving your forehand and upshots. Let's get into it. Hey guys, it's Caroline Henderson. You are listening to the Chain Clinkers Podcast. Alrighty, everybody. Welcome into the Chain Clinkers Disc Golf Podcast. We have got an amazing guest on tonight's show, but before we get into it, we're going to talk to you a little bit about Upper Park Disc Golf Bags. They've got some of the best disc golf bags on the market right now. Truly believe that they are some of the most versatile, lightweight, most storage kind of bags you can get. They're made from sustainably used materials, so they're better for the environment and for the game long term. You're able to get a ton of discs in these bags, especially at the prices you're paying. I've looked at some of these very expensive two, $300 bags, and you can only get like 25 discs in there. You can get a $100 bag and get upwards of 30 discs with the Pinch Pro. Highly recommend checking it out and using promo code CLINKERS10 saves you 10% at checkout, and it lets Upper Park know that we sent you and we definitely appreciate that as we do get a commission off of those sales. But today we are talking to Caroline. She had an amazing start to the 2023 disc golf season. Brave the elements in Las Vegas. I, I mean, we'll get into it, but I, I, snow in Vegas? I've never heard of that before. I know, so it was so weird. It was just all of a sudden we walked outside. It was like, it was hot and now it's snowing. It's like Texas. <laughs> Yes, uh, yes, I feel that, especially here in Kansas as well. You know, it'll be 70 in the morning or, you know, in the afternoon. And by the time nightfall hits, it's 20 degrees and snowing again. So I imagine that was tough. I'm excited to get into that. Caroline, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you? Fantastic. Even better that we are able to talk. And I imagine you are a very popular person this week. I know when we were watching coverage and seeing everything, I was like, who is this gal? I, I, we got to find out who this is and we got to get her on the podcast. Yeah, it was, it, it's been really, really busy. I used to have downtime and I don't have downtime anymore. <laughs> a lot of people yeah. come to talk to me and kind of figure out like who I am and what I'm about and I'm excited y'all reached out to me. It was really cool. Y'all were one of the first uh, podcasts I listened to when I started playing. So it's kind of neat. Nice. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, at least we have one listener out there. That always <laughs> makes me feel good. I The metrics say one thing, but it's always nice when you can hear it as somebody actually has <laughs> tapped into the show before. Um, so I guess let's just kind of start with LVC and we'll kind of talk about your journey along the way. So when you went into LVC, what were your expectations? Oh, we didn't have any because, you know, my, my rating is the, not my rating, sorry, my PDGA number is like the lowest one there. And so we were just, you know, we, we just wanted to make sure whatever I did, I wanted to learn from. Like we weren't expecting to do great things. We just wanted to make sure that if I made a mistake, I knew how to fix it on the next round or in, you know, what could I learn from this tournament? Maybe I'm not my hydras aren't pushing as far as I need them to, or my annies are pulling a little bit, or my putt's a little off. So it was just more of that kind of thing. Also, I really wanted to watch uh, the pros play in person. Like, it's different when you get to stand behind them versus when you're out in the crowd. You know, it's a whole different experience. And so I just kind of wanted to see some of the best play in person and just see what I can learn from and adapt because I'm kind of one of those players. Like, I've always played up in sports divisions just because I'm like, Oh, I see it. I can do it. I'm very, very visual. Yeah, that's an awesome attitude to have. I feel like there's a lot of people who have the inverse attitude of that and want to play down to their competition. They want to play in wreck. They don't want to move up because it's comfortable there. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. You don't get better there. And maybe I need to take that (laughs) advice a little bit. But, you know, so going into that first round, first shot off the tee, was it excited, nervous, anxious, nothing? Like what what was going through your head and maybe your stomach if you had butterflies? No, I actually – I was really proud of myself. I slept great the night before. I think it was because my card was super low key. Like I didn't get put on a card with like Missy or I know Paige Pierce wasn't there, but even if I get on a card with Paige Pierce, like that might've made me a little nervous that everyone was super down to earth, pretty low key. So 
I kind of came in confident. Like I played the practice rounds and um, like when we were on Innova, I was shooting like nine down. And then when we moved on to infinite, it was like seven or eight down. So it's like I didn't, these courses, I didn't have too much of a problem with. So I was more excited and happy to be there. I wasn't that yeah. like shaky, nervous or sick or anything like that. Yeah, that's good. Did you have any of that kind of come in as the, you know, the next round happens and then the final round and like maybe you're starting to get playing with cards that are higher towards the the leaders? Like did you have any of those feelings or once you settled in was it all gas no breaks? All gas no breaks. Cuz I nice. I've, I've, awesome. I've played with Holland before, so like I already knew we had a lot of skill sets. She's just been playing longer than me, so she has more consistency and more time behind her. And so I, I don't let things like that bother me because that would be really silly. You know, it just doesn't make yeah. sense. It's not realistic. Yeah, absolutely. I love your attitude. I, I really think there's a lot of a lot of that that amateurs can take away from that, right? I mean, like here you are in, in one of your biggest events ever, all gas, no breaks, no nerves, just ready to go. Let's kill it and have fun. Mm -hmm. And people like me are chilling at a seat tier like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> how am I going to – make this putt that I just missed. And, you know, so that I really like that attitude. I think that's an attitude that a lot of people can take away from. And, and I want to take this and kind of dive into where you first started in disc golf. You know, what was your background before you got into disc golf and how did you get into disc golf? Yeah. So, uh, prior to disc golf, I played uh, select softball. So I started about when I started pitching and doing some softball when I was like eight ish and I started committing to pitching at 10, but I started 12 U or sorry, I started 10U when I was about to turn 11. So I only played one year in 10U softball. And so uh, that was my favorite sport. I played it for a while. Very competitive. Uh, always played in, a div uh, in divisions above my age group. And other sports I played, I played basketball, some volleyball. And I ran, in high school, I ran track. So I ran the 100 uh, meter hurdles, the 300 hurdles, and the 1200 distance competitions. Awesome. And so how did that lifestyle of playing all these different sports, being super athletic, how did that transition into disc golf? Uh, most of it was softball. I mean, just general running athleticism. Just It just kind of helps with explosiveness. But uh, for softball, uh, it's I could I could switch hit. I had the most power on the right-hand side because I'm, I'm a right-handed person. But I could, you know, swing on the left-hand side. So I had an, like an a body awareness of how to use my bottom hand which is a lot like throwing a frisbee, right? Because it's like drive, snap out front through extension. Uh, and plus, uh, we do get some of that rotation. Like that first driving move is a lot like disc golf. But in uh, softball, we continue to rotate instead of have that slam move and then things move through. So a lot of it translated. With the forehand... Um, I would say it's a good mix of softball pitching and baseball throwing because when I first started to learn how to throw a forehand, I was throwing it, if you know what I mean. And so it just, mm -hmm. everything was rolling over, like nothing was working and like I was hurting my shoulder. I was like, well, it doesn't hurt when I throw a ball. I was like, why is it hurting now? And so we, my husband and I, CJ, went out to the field and I was like, I'm going to learn a forehand. There's no reason I shouldn't be able to do this. And so when you throw a baseball, you pronate. Right. But in softball yep. snaps, you don't pronate where right? you go straight up and down. It's like six twelve, or 12, six. I'm going to think about it. And so I was like, I'm going to, you know, put my toe on the ground. I'm going to get into an, a softball L position and I'm going to snap the ball, uh, snap the disc. And it went like three sixty. And CJ was like, dude, how did that happen? I was like, I have no clue, <laughs> but it was the best for it. I'd, I'd thrown to that point, but it's just, it's just the way you whip your arm in softball. It's just, it's different than throwing. So it's more about your fingers instead of less about the arm. I don't know. Really? Okay. So if I'm hearing you right, it's more about that finger snap, mm -hmm. not necessarily like wrist or elbow mm -hmm. when you're trying to do a forehand. Yes. I like, I've seen like a lot of people when they like practice their forehands. I don't, I don't know if people will be able to see this video, but they move their elbow so much. Like if you were to teach a kid that like they would just drag their arm behind the body and it would literally hit the side of the net. But like the way you teach them, it's more like you try to get them to use their fingers more and less of their arm because the arm's going to do it naturally. So I just think on my forearms, I think drive my wrist and snap my fingers instead of move my elbow. So it's like toe down, snap fingers, toe down, snap. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then is that, is your grip on that? I, I kind of call it the like pistols firing where you've got. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. And so, so what discs did you start when you were learning that forehand? Were you using, you know, super overstable firebirds or were you using more neutral understable discs? Like what was kind of your thought process? We, we just were using Zeus's. It's kind of all we knew what to use because even when I first started learning, like it's, I don't, I didn't have the snap that I have on now. So like now I throw nukes, but then we threw Zeus's because um, Hades didn't work. <laughs> those, those just rolled into the ground. But yeah, we use Zeus's. Okay. And have you, have you found that it's just, it's been easier? I mean, I think the answer is yes, but has it been easier for you to learn with those more overstable discs or, you know, like if I'm going to go out to the field tomorrow and try this new snapping motion, should I pick up something like a undertaker that's relatively neutral to stable, or should I go out there with a Zeus Mm -hmm. and, and just focus on those kinds of lines uh if i was go if i was to like relearn i i wouldn't i wouldn't do any shuffles or anything like that i would take things like undertakers and buzzes and i would learn how to for them forehand them in a standstill just mm. because it kind of kind of works on that weight shift and also kind of gets your hips going like it'll start driving your hips and you work on keeping the disc really flat and level through snap because like when you want to finish you want to have like your the palm's not up, but like your fingers are kind of up, like your pinky's kind of coming up instead of letting yeah. your pinky roll over. And so if you get that nasty wobble, it's like, okay, well, I need to keep my palm up a little more. And so it's just kind of, you want to think about where your hand is at release. And so that's how I kind of started figuring it out. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Okay. And have mm-hmm. you have you noticed when you're doing the forehand throw do you feel that you have to put a ton of i want to say power into your arm to get good distance or accuracy or you know not a lot of wobble with that disc or are you able to go pretty smooth and it'll still go far because of that last little uh flick of the wrist fingers etc the the harder i try the worse it gets just because it go it goes back into that throwing the arm move like throwing with your arm move I I just try to make sure that if I'm trying to recorrect myself that I am pushing hard against my front side, like having that nice stiff firm landing that you would feel in softball slash baseball landing, and then having that quick snap into it. So it's touch, snap, right? Touch, snap, right? And you're just trying to be loose. If it goes to the ground, it goes in the ground. If it goes in the air, it goes in the air. It doesn't matter. Like all you're trying to feel is touch, pop, touch, pop. Yeah. Okay. And if, if someone was to go to the field or whatever and do this, would you recommend just, Hey, get out to the field. It doesn't matter where you are. If you have a net, should you just really focus on that motion into the net over and over again, just to really kind of hone that in? And I mean, you don't have to go as far. Like, would you recommend a net over a field if that's a possibility? Oh, absolutely. Like, um, when it rains out here, or even if just something's feeling funky, I'll go to the batting cages. Cause I can mm. put myself like eight, eh, I guess like 40 feet away from the end of the net and I'll look at one spot and then I'm like trying to finish my fingers in that spot. And so I like, I let my chest go forward and reach my hand out to that spot. And typically it works. Gotcha. And mm-hmm. so you said a couple minutes ago that standstill was the way to start. Could you explain kind of why that is? Uh, it, it eliminates error. 
Like, I just feel like when you start getting into the shuffle, it's, it's kind of the same reason you would start in a standstill and a backhand. It's just too much, right? Like, I yeah. would, I, if I was teaching somebody, I would make them learn standstills, then a step, and then, then they can work on their X steps. Same concept. It just kind of takes all the crazy stuff out of it. Because moving is, it's hard to time until you get it. So I'd start standstill, one step and throw, and then do your shuffles. And I'd keep them light, very light on your toes. No yeah. Okay. So, so then I guess with that, like when you're in a standstill position, just kind of help me understand visually and audibly where, where should your starting point with your throwing arm be? You know, I, I feel like you see like Scott Stokely was, a, was, I remember seeing his videos last year where he's like, there's kind of two ways to do the forehand, the Adam Hammes kind of Paul Macbeth way where you're looking like a robot and mm -hmm. circling around, or you're going all the way around, uh, you know, your shoulder, almost as if you're doing a backstroke and swimming, like where do you, where does your optimal, like my arm is going to start in this position mm -hmm. for my throw from a standstill? Uh, for the very basic, I would keep it somewhat to parallel, like, but that's not how it's going to be as you start developing. Like when you're really just trying to learn how your hips drive the snap, like you just want to think of hula hoop, right? Think of parallel, like gotcha. keep it really short. Uh, it's not going to go very far and it's going to feel a little weird. But like once you start kind of getting the the arm whip and the finesse where the fingers are like the whip and the crack, then you can start bringing it. I I would bring them up to like that L, like that mild L that you get in baseball, right? Like if you were kind of okay. going from second to first, you know, maybe yeah. in the outfield where you're really high. But I would kind of work on, you know, I guess slope it slope of lack of a better word kind of bringing it down to that flat parallel and then getting it through it's exponential that's the word i'm looking for exponential down into that parallel plane gotcha okay yeah that makes sense that makes sense and so what i mean what are maybe some indicators and you probably did this with your game what are some indicators that you're like okay I've mastered the standstill. Now I'm ready to do one step. Okay. Now I'm ready to do two step. Okay. Now I can shuffle. Like what did you need to see in your game that allowed you to do that? Uh, one was the effort. Like it was so effortless to get good snap because if you're actually using your hips and body, your arm will naturally snap. Uh, two was, I didn't feel any kind of weird pain or pull in like the posterior side of my shoulder. Because like those who aren't quite accelerating their wrist behind their hips will start like if you're holding, I wish I had a Frisbee, if you were holding the Frisbee and your thumb and palm get too high, like it mm. starts to like drag and pull and that's where you get that pain and that's where you get that nose up. But like if you're thinking about that exponential drive with like the bottom of your thumb or your wrist into that parallel move, it'll keep you from flipping that nose over. So those were the two things that if I nailed those, I felt comfortable, I'll move on to my shuffles. Gotcha. It's not easy okay. to keep the nose down in forehand. I think that's where a lot of people get stuck. Yeah, let's talk about that. Like, how can you work on that nose angle? Everyone talks about it on backhand, but I almost feel as though it's a little bit forgotten about in forehand. I know for myself, it's always a tough, like, okay, was my arm too low and I dipped my shoulder down and that's why it was nose up because I literally just finished straight up palm to the sky and all that stuff. Or, or maybe just let's talk a little bit about nose angle and kind of how to control it. Yeah, so uh, when I really figured out how to keep the nose down, I was practicing throwing the disc 10 feet into the ground, like straight into the ground, right? Like I'd touch my toe, I'd get into that shuffle step position, and then I would drive my weight and in, down into my left heel and throw the disc into the ground, right? Because it kind of gives you that directional movement, like your body should be driving that move. And so I was really focusing on putting a ton of pressure at the... I guess the meat of the thumb, like really having that pressure point, you know, snapping it to the ground. And then when that felt comfortable, I felt loose, um, I would go back into my shovels and do the same thing. So maybe you would do it with your most stable disc that you're trying to beat in. That way it's like two birds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's smart. Oh, and then the other thing is uh, when sometimes when you start getting into that shuffles, your feet, uh, you start to overstride. Like when you start overstriding, that's when you get that lean in your shoulders and no matter what you do, you're not gonna throw nose down, 
right? Because your arm's dragging behind your body and your body's pulling the arm through. So if you keep it, you know, nice, short, and sweet, you know, it doesn't have to be too small, but something that's, you know, stays pretty quick. It should be like, cha-cha-pa, right? Cha-cha-throw. Gotcha. So, okay. That's that's kind of making sense. And, and so I, I'm really glad you said the, like, overstep because I definitely feel like if I get too far of a stride, mm -hmm. I definitely notice that nose-up angle. And mm -hmm. so maybe timing has a little bit of something to, to play that with that timing. also because mm -hmm. I know, you know, with backhand, they say timing, you know, when, you're, when your plant foot hits, that's when you want to be at the peach of your reach peak of your reach back excuse me so is that what you want to do with the forehand also when you when that front foot let me see let me make sure the left foot if you're righty should be your front foot when that hits where where should that throw be uh your shoulders should still be um i guess like facing parallel to whatever you were facing to initially. And then some people, their front foot kind of opens up in their knees a little bit, but you want your hips and shoulders like mildly separated. Like I wouldn't compare it to baseball pitching where it's like significant separation. It's just mild separation. So you want your arms in that, you know, I guess scarecrow position when your foot hits. Like if you start trying oh. to throw, you start opening up and then you get, you know, lifted and the arm drops and then you throw it straight in the air. Okay. 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 I think I'm having a breakthrough when you said the, the pitching aspect. Yeah. Um, so when I think of pitching, right. And you're coming in and then you're going here when you're, when that foot lands, I'm thinking about feet now, right? Because I've heard that your feet should be facing, you know, if we're facing straight, your feet should be 90 degrees. It should be parallel to whatever you're doing. And then I've heard, well, your front foot should be straight with you. Your other one should be facing the 90 degrees. What, yeah. what, what are your thoughts on no, that? No, um, it's, it's kind of the feel versus real thing. And it's also, if you were to teach a kid, you would teach a kid to stride parallel, but that's like not what's going to happen. Like your front foot typically should open up just a little bit. It's the same way with baseball hitting. It's kind of, it should somewhat, it should be the same way with the backhand too. But some people do do the 90 degrees. I think it, it, it's different. It's, it varies per person, but like you kind of are supposed to open up your front foot when you're pitching. So it kind of gives that hip a nice, you know, tension in your core. Like your upper body has that pull. It's like a sponge. You twist a sponge and pop it. It's kind of the same idea. Gotcha. Cause I guess if you're both, if both of them are parallel when you're coming through, you can only rotate so mm -hmm. much where if you have one a little bit mm -hmm. open, it allows for more, yeah reach through with those hips, which in theory should give you more power. Yeah. Like in baseball hitting, it helps you get around quicker when your foot's yeah. that open. Wow. Mm -hmm. I feel like that explains a lot in forehands. I hope you guys are eating this up like I am because wow, I have felt like I've had a pretty good forehand. I have a baseball background as well. One of my buddies has a baseball background and he has not gotten to the point where he can he loves forehand. He's a great forehand thrower. Sometimes I see that man do some things on forehand. I'm like, God damn, how did you do that? But also he has that extreme baseball. Like I am at second base throwing to first and like super roll over. And so I, I think I'm going to have to tell him to listen to this one because this, this has been extremely helpful. And so one, one more thing on it that's kind of coming to my mind is, you know, when you're learning these, learning these new things in forehand, should you be focused on that power and just yeeting it as far as you can, or is it should be accuracy? Like what, what, what should you kind of build first? I guess I build accuracy first, like, like smooth as fast, smooth as far. Like, you know, if you kind of get used to the motion, you're going to learn how to start putting some extra oomph into it, extra drive. Cause when you understand like how to do that like land snap, you can start loading up weight into your back leg when you shuffle and then you learn to push off of it. And so that's kind of like a lot, where a lot of that power comes from is that push. It doesn't come from your arm. It comes from your the way you use your body when you push and how you land. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. So, so having all this knowledge on forehand, developing such a strong forehand at home before going out onto tour, do you feel as though this gives you an advantage mm -hmm. over some of the other ladies out there on tour? Yes. I think, um, cause I've always, I've watched a lot of coverage before I went on tournament and before I went on the tour tournament and there, I'm looking at holes. I'm like, 
that would just be so much more simpler if you just had a forehand. Like, you know, the, you know, the backhand turnovers are great, but it's just, you know, what if there's some wind or something happens now? It's such a bad miss, but I think it, it, think it makes my game a little, it makes it a little easier to be competitive. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, absolutely. Like crazy turnover. It's like, I can just throw a forehand. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, and I think we've seen it a lot with uh, two men that I bring up for it is Eagle and James Conrad. Mm -hmm. James Conrad does not have a forehand, and Eagle had a great forehand and now is seldomly throwing a forehand. And I think you can kind of see how those shots impact them comparatively to somebody like a Ricky or Paul who will throw a forehand. So moving forward then, what does the rest of your 2023 season look like? Should we be expecting you to be at all the Elite Series events? Yep, I should be at all of them. Uh, for, well, so I don't have a tour card, so I was only able to register like per events, like for my ratings. So I got into the first two thirds, except for Champions Cup, and they're only taking 40 people. So it's completely reasonable. I didn't get into that tournament. Now, I did learn that the European Open is a qualifying tournament. I think I qualified for it during Las Vegas, but I'm not sure. I haven't gotten an email or anything like that, but... I do expect to get into everything. Once March 10th rolls around, I'll know about the last third and then the qualifying gotcha. as the year goes on. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, and so everything. what made you decide to go on tour full-time this year? I mean, it seems as though you're at least trying to tour full-time. Yeah. What, what was that decision like for you? So I didn't want to do it until I was ready. So um, up until this past November, November of 2022, uh, I was still working and I was doing disc golf about four hours in the four or five hours in the morning and then going straight to work. And it's just, uh, if, if I guess we haven't mentioned it on here yet, I was a, a softball instructor. So I taught kids how to pitch and hit. This is kind of where my knowledge comes from. And so it was like hard on the body, like just having to do all that. And so when November rolled around, I played in the veterans park open here in Arlington, Texas. And Holland was there, Kat Merch was there, and Maria was there. And after round one, like Holland and I had the same score. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, so this, I might actually be ready. And so at that point, I decided to quit my job and officially, officially take all my day to practice disc golf. So I practiced like six or seven hours since then every day. Wow. So that's kind that, of, I mean, that's, I was ready. That is a full-time commitment right there. How do you, how do you, I mean, you know, God make sure this doesn't happen, you know, you know, but like, how are you able to stay healthy yeah. and not burn and even mentally not burn yourself out? Mm -hmm. the, yeah. Those are, well, yeah, two separate things, but, um, I definitely had to, cause I have a, like, I don't currently have pain, but if I don't have, if I don't manage my left hip and my right shoulder, I get a ton of pain. And so in the gym, this off season, we did a lot of maintenance and we did a lot of maintenance, little small muscle ligament maintenance on the shoulder and the left hip. And we focused on like glute strength. Cause if you can get your glutes and your core and your back really strong, it's amazing how much things don't hurt. It, it was incredible. It's like, I have zero pain. I have mobility back. Like it's incredible, but that was what I did for the physical side. The mental side was a, that was a whole different battle. Like everything we talked about at the beginning of this podcast was never always present. Um, I kind of got tired of being so frustrated and upset. I was like, you know, I'm miserable. I was like, I chose this life because I love disc golf and now I'm miserable. I was like, I can't live like this. And so I read a couple books, one of them being golf is not a game of perfect. And there was one about tennis. It was like, oh, I don't know. But those I like annotated and I really thought about it. I wrote in a journal and that's how I've kind of kept the mental side under control. Yeah, that's great. Cause I mean, I even yeah. feel it doing, you know, this brand and this podcast and stuff. And sometimes it's like, golly, I do not want to get on Instagram today. I do not want to go record. I do not want to like, I, we have started internally it, within our brand, Hershey Trenton and I, and a couple other people, we've, you know, decided that we're going to do a little bag tags this year between us. And I have not played for tags oh, since we initially played for it, mainly because I either just literally was not feeling it or was kind of hurt or, and, you know, and there was a couple times where I was like, look guys, I literally, I just want to go out I'll record stuff on my phone because I'm indoctrined to do that at this point. Mm -hmm. I can't stop myself from doing that, but I don't want to 
keep score. I don't want to be stressed. I don't want to pressure. I literally just want to go out there and enjoy my time because if I don't do that, then I feel like I'm going to be mad at disc golf and I don't yeah. want to be mad. No, it's okay to take breaks. That was something that I had issues dealing with. It's like, well, I have to keep practicing, to keep practicing. But it's like, if you're not, if you're not in it, it's not good practice. So it's like, I'd rather go home and hang out with my dogs or watch TV or eat something sweet than force myself to practice. So, I mean, taking time off is good for you. Yeah. I, and I mean, I've even noticed it in my game as well sometimes where, you know, I won't that literally, I guess this last weekend this happened. I have been, I, this off season, I've really committed to going to the gym more, getting more in shape because kind of like you were saying, I mean, just being more athletic, being in shape, things are going to hurt less and you're probably going to play better. <laughs> and it's probably just good for you, like life wise to do that. So, so I've kind of been doing that. And, uh, the last couple of weeks on leg day, I'll be fine the next day. But then the three days after that, I literally cannot extend <laughs> my legs because my calves hurt so bad. Yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> and so <laughs> we went to go play and I was on the last day of it. And the day before I literally couldn't walk. I was telling my wife, I was like, I'm going to be awkward to walk around the mall with because I can't move very quick yes. or normal. Like, and we went to play and I, again, I told her, I'm not playing for tags today. Like I'm hurt. I'm just vibing out here. And mm -hmm. I literally shot the best I ever had. And I hadn't played disc golf in two weeks wow. because it had been raining. Mm -hmm. It had been, you know, bad weather, whatever it was. Couldn't get out to – if we did go, we were just recording. We weren't actually playing. And, mm -hmm. and I shot three down on a course where I, you know, even was probably my best round there. And so I was like, geez, maybe I figure something out by mm -hmm. not playing. And I almost feel you get that mental reset. Also, oh, yeah. you're you know talking about how, you know, not getting burnout. I feel like if you're having that burnout, you take a break, you don't putt for a week, you don't drive for a week, you don't do anything, you come back. And it's almost as if your body just naturally mm -hmm. knows what to do. You're not overthinking mm -hmm. it anymore. Have you noticed that also? Oh, absolutely. I've even noticed it in my kids. Like my parent, the parents will come up to you like, you know, she's just, you know, something's off. I'm just like, give her a weekend off, like give her a break. Because it is amazing when you're, because your body knows what to do. It's, it's the, it's the self one person that kind of makes everything get a little weird. But like yourself too, like in moments like that, self two will come out and it's pretty impressive what they know. Because we all like to trust self one more than self two, but self two's the, the OG. Just That's true. Just let self two do the thing. That's is so true. Best. Player B is mm -hmm. the winner out there on the course. So let that person come out in you and your own game and uh, you, you'll definitely find more success. I've, I'm taking some guys that I work with out a couple of times now. Tomorrow will be the second time that they've gone out with me and uh, really just being like, hey, just have fun. Oh, Don't yeah. worry. Like I'm not going to be the guy who's going to tell you how to, oh, well, you have to do this and this and that and that because that's, that's not fun. Disc golf yeah. is about having fun. Oh, yeah. And like I said at the beginning of the episode, I think your mentality around this is really good. And I think one that is very sustainable. I feel it like is. a lot of players get on tour go super hard getting there then they get there and then six months later it's like wow mm -hmm. i don't want to do this anymore yeah, i don't insane. think that's going to be you mm -hmm. yeah you'll go insane definitely can't do that to yourself you'll die young because you're all that cortisol is rushing through your body it's like just chill it's disc golf if you don't win you don't win if you play great great if you don't it's whatever learn yeah and so after Las Vegas, and, you know, I'm looking at your Instagram, right? I've, I've done a little bit of research. You know, I see these sponsors here, you know, Par for Disc, Hooligan Disc, Legit Disc Golf. I, I believe your shirt is legit also and, you know, T-Box and, and these other and these other sponsors here. But I'm not seeing like a Discraft or an Innova or, or Latitude. So when, when's the announcement coming? Uh, I think in the next couple of weeks. We uh, This is also why I have no free time. Um, like after my first round... I was being hit up even before the tournament started. I was being hit up because like I had, I don't, I don't know who any of these people are. So I'm like out in a practice round by myself because I don't really know anybody. And, um, you know, someone, this one person approaches me. It's like, Hey, you know, we watched you bomb that forehand. I think we want you on our team. And I was like, okay, you know, we'll see how the tournament goes. You know, I don't know if I'm going to play well, even if you still want me, but yeah, I had like four reach out after the tournament, but like after round one, I had two. Wow. I know. That's exciting. So is it still down to two or do we have one and we just can't say it yet? Mm. When is this? This is being posted Monday. Monday. The, uh, today's the third. So 
four, five, six. It, it's one. Yeah, it's we have one. Yeah, wow. From what someone else says, but like I'm ninety nine point nine percent sure it's going to be somebody. That's awesome. That is so exciting. Yeah. In and I mean, obviously, it's not signed. You can't, you know, talk a whole lot about it. But just to kind of get a little sneak peek behind the curtain, it, are we in ter- Like when you're going through these negotiations, like what what were you expecting? Like were you expecting, you know, hey, this is what a accountant makes back at you know wherever, or you know, this is what I was making at doing softball, or is it like, oh man, I really got to push these discs if I'm going to get anything? Like, what were you kind of going into, and maybe what's kind of transpired? Yeah, so um, we are my my husband and I are very comfortable, which is why we were able to kind of you know do the whole tour thing and be okay. And so I told them I was like. I was like, I don't really need a sponsor, but I was like, if this is going to happen and if you want me to switch my bag, you know, at the beginning of a season, it's like, I need, um, I need you to be okay with me taking a long time to switch my bag. And two, um, I want to be paid worth my while because I am, even though this was only my first like physical play showing, uh, I am working with GK pro on a bunch of media stuff. So it's like, they kind of want me to do a lot of things like look Humphreys and like what Kona does. And so by the end of the year, I told them, I was like, you know, I need you to look at my worth, not now, but what it's going to be in six months. Like, you're just going to have to take a gamble on it. You know, I understand that's a little uncomfortable, but I also, if you want me to stay for longer than a year, I need you to match what's going to happen in December, which is a little awkward to ask for because it's, I've never, we've never done anything like this before. So it's a little weird. Yeah, I, I I think that's a really good attitude to have. I mean, I've been talking to the team about you know our sponsors and maybe future sponsors, and and I've been listening to some stuff, and it's like if everyone that you're talking to says yes without any kind of pushback, then you're probably not asking for enough. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm gonna use that strategy personally, being like, hey, well, hey, here's what we are now. I mean, sure, you can give us for what we're worth now, but let's project forward because things are only going to get better. In theory, you should only get better and continue to improve and. Mm-hmm. Become more of a household name on tours. So I think, again, I think that is really smart. And I feel like a lot of players just get, they, amps especially, are like, mm-hmm. ah, I just want someone on my back. I, I just want to be sponsored. So I really think your situation and everything allows you to really choose someone that's going to be good really long term. Yeah, it really, it really does. Is this company someone that, I, I mean, obviously, you know, it's, it's happening. It's good. You're happy with it. But like, were they a main staple in your bag or do you think it's going to be a lot of like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm going to have to learn a lot of new discs. It's going to be a lot of new discs, but, uh, my, one of my main, and I guess I'll kind of peek the curtain. One of my main forehand and backhand upshot discs is the person I'm going with. Nice. So, That's awesome. Watch my game or if they heard anything. You'll see yeah. which disc I used the most for all my upshots. If it helps, it was hole. It was my upshot on uh, the first hole of the last round. That's the disc. If anyone knows, we're gonna have to go scramble to go find the coverage of that. <laughs> Wait, when, when's the announcement? Is it is it gonna be pretty soon? I can't remember if I asked you that or not. Um, we get our last thing on Monday, and so after that, gotcha. we'll probably make the announcement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my other sponsors are already aware of the deal that's going down. Gotcha. We're just, we're and just I assume for, just to make sure that I'm not missing out on anything, but I don't think I am. Nice. That's so exciting. I mean, I that's got to. I mean, you got to feel so proud about yourself, and you know, I, I that's amazing to hear. And you know, the rest of this season, uh, I feel is going to be like nothing but success. And and what would you say is your goal for the rest of the season? I mean, it's got. Is it a, different from when you came into it? Mm-hmm. Uh, a little. It's it's still all learning focus. Like we knew this whole year was a learning opportunity. Like we didn't think we were going to get sponsored. We were okay with that. Like I just wanted to. I wanted to grow as a player and I wanted to learn from as many people as possible. And it's the same goal. It's always going to be this, uh, the same goal. But as the years, as you know, the season progresses, I do want to make sure I qualify for every event I can qualify for, specifically throw pink. That's the one I want to be at the yeah. most. So we'll see how my finishes yeah. go. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's awesome. 
Well, hey, we're sitting at about 38 minutes right now. I think we've done so much. I am going to get into uh, – maybe this is still the title. I might have to change the title after this. But I know he had talked about five things that you must do if you want to throw a better upshot. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a li- little bit about upshots and maybe let's just count down from five to one on maybe uh, – And uh, you, if you put them in order, that's great. If you didn't, no big deal. But on your list, what is number five – of things you must do to have a better upshot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we'll, I guess we can talk specifically about the backhand upshot. Um, yeah. I, mean, I know it all kind of goes together with the backhand, the forehand, but we'll be super specific on the backhand. Um, first off, find a disc that feels comfortable in your hand. Like for me specifically, my fingers aren't very long. And so deep dish discs, I, I don't like throwing them. It's just because they're super hard to grip. And so I prefer like flatter discs, like, um, like an A2. I know those are really stable, but if you get the ones in the soft plastic and beat them in, they're money. So I like PA3s, um, A2s, A3s. And once you find that disc that feels comfortable, once you get up to your lie, or even if you're practicing it, you want to, uh, check out your line. And so, you know, find whatever is going to be the high percentage play and then you, then you read the wind if you're in the open and if you're in the trees. You know, it's not something you really need to think about. I mean, be aware. But once you start imagining your line, uh, you want to feel, you want to let your body feel and you want to have your a mind imagine the distance, uh, the height, and the speed control. And so when you walk up to your lie, you want to make sure you have a routine down. It doesn't matter how many times you kind of air throw without the disc. But you want to make sure you're focusing on intent. Like, you know, I'm intentionally trying to feel my body throw this Anheuser angle nice and soft because it's only a 150 approach shot, right? So um, after that, um, I had a list. While you're doing that, uh, during that, like that routine phase, like make sure you're feeling fluid. If something feels uncomfortable, do maybe a couple more. You got 30 seconds. It doesn't matter. And if you're certain, some people you have more than more 30, than 30 seconds. seconds. <laughs> but yeah. And then just so just so I'm on track, is this number four or are we still on five? I don't know. I think it all kind of mudded together. Okay, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, that's all good. It was like that's all good. Voice, and then it was like mind body, and then it was like routine. Okay. But yeah, oh, I think that's all I got to. But and and I guess after that is it's just practice, like going out into a field and. Starting like I, I personally start at like 80 and then 100, 120, 140, 50 and stuff. And I kind of like go back and forth between each distances and I work on that routine. It's like, all right, I'm at 100 feet. This is what my body feels like at 100 feet. And then I'll move it back to 175 and I'll, and I kind of do the same thing because you sometimes you got to put a little bit more on it or you got to change the angle or the height. And so knowing what your body should feel like at certain distances helps so much like when you get onto those those open courses at vegas like you don't have a lot to go on like there's not a lot of trees that let you know and so if you kind of have an awareness of what 175 feel 175 feet feels like you'll kind of be able to gauge the uphill and the downhill slopes and stuff like that so all of, it's, it's just it's just practice getting comfortable gotcha. getting used to it and then go apply like I'll do my upshot practice, and then we have a little course near our house called Dash's Track, and it is the ultimate upshot practice course, Woods Upshot Practice course. It has elevation. It has different terrains. It's a really cool course. So, awesome. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of questions off that. First one is when you – what, I guess, let's start here, kind of closer toward the basket. What is the point – foot-wise for you that you will go from maybe a step or a jump putt or just putting in general to, okay, now I'm actually throwing an upshot. What what kind of is that range for you? I probably, like if I just start soft, like really soft tossing, probably 60 feet because, uh, I mean, we're on that 40-foot mark, the 50-foot mark. I'm probably jump putting. I, I typically, I stand still as far as possible. I think I can get up to like 40 feet with some I'm okay at this distance, but after that, if I have to, I'll jump it. Otherwise, like 70, 80 and out, I'm tossing just because I just don't see the worth. Yeah. And so when you start those up shots, are you mainly using a 
putting putter or maybe a throwing putter. Like, and when I say putter, I mean true like mm-hmm. putter, like mm-hmm. Maiden, Judge, um, Roach, mm-hmm. AVR, uh, PA3, or are you using more of a like, hey, zone, harp? Mm-hmm tactic like what what disc selection are you mainly going yeah with? so it 100 depends on the shot but like if i have just a nice open easy one with not a lot of wind it's a pa3 or a pa i think it's a pa1 i'll use those two if i need something that has a little bit of hyzer i'll use my beaten in harpoon if i need something with a bigger hyzer i'll use my less beaten in harpoon and then if i have a ton of wind or if i need a real big swing i'll use an a3 Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so how does wind kind of affect your upshots? Like, are you playing to set up your putt, um, like with a certain wind that you want to putt into? Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, let, let's, let's kind of talk about that. Like yeah. maybe what wind do you like to putt into and how does that impact your yeah. upshot? I would 100% rather putt with like a left, right or a tail. Just because it's going to drop. Like headwinds, I mean, if you don't if you don't get it flat, maybe any, or even if you get the nose down, it's going to do something you completely don't want it to do. And you really don't want to show the bottom of a disc in a right left or a headwind. It's just, it's a nightmare. You don't know how far it's going to go. So I try, you know, to set myself up on the tailwind left right side. So if it is that windy, I'll probably throw something more stable because if, uh, if I accidentally show too much of the bottom of a disc, in a headwind or a left right wind my pa3 is it's going off right it's going onto the headwind side and i don't want to deal with it but i'll probably throw my uh stable harpoon gotcha and yeah. when you're Low. throwing up shots still kind of closer to the basket here are you mainly backhand or forehand mm, i can do both like i'm very comfortable with both but i would rather do the backhand because I don't, I don't look away from those like really short shots. Like I don't think I start looking away until like 300 feet because you don't need to. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I try to keep my head on the target as much as possible. It's easier with forehands, of course, but I'd rather do it on a backhand side. Just I've been doing that since day one. Yeah. Yeah. And how far out are you from the pin when you're still throwing these putters? Like when do you switch to maybe a mid range mm-hmm. or a fairway? I can, I stand still, I stand still my, uh, like my harpoons and my PA threes and stuff all the way up until like two fifty. Like sometimes I'll walk into it, but I'd rather keep the feet still because it's easier. Well, it's easier to time and it's easier to keep your head still, right? It's easier for mm. me to kind of push off and finish. It's like sometimes when I walk, like my timing might get off or especially I might turn my head from the target too early, which is a super common and move. And that's where it starts ruining me because then I'll accidentally release earlier. I'll pull it because I wasn't intently looking at my target. So if I can stand still, I'm going to stand still. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some people like the step timing. I think if I, if I walk, I'm either going to blow it by the basket or I'm going to turn my head too early. Like I would just feel comfortable standstilling. Yeah. Hard for me to dial down. That's why I stand still. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That kind of makes sense. I I can kind of feel that. I feel like I kind of go personally in between a mix of doing both of sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a very little walk up. I mean, Mm -hmm. X and then plant and go. Mm -hmm. And even then it's barely anything or just going with the standstill. And, but I feel like I'll try to look at the target and then I feel like when I look at the target, I release early for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I almost have to look back I down. I get that. That took me um, a hot minute to figure out because I, I was thinking, I was like, I need to figure out how to keep my head on the target. I mean, look at Paul McBeth. I mean, he's looking at it for, I mean, all kinds of shot. He keeps his head on the target. I'm like, there has to be a science. And so it it took me a minute to figure out. It's it's just practice. And I did it in the cages. So okay, because yeah, you're only 40 feet away and it forces you to look at that one little square or some have like numbers and you look at the number, but that's what helped me the most was just getting in the cage and doing what I could to keep my head on that number. Yeah. Okay. And it'll work okay. itself out. The body will figure itself out. And what do you think is maybe the most easy to learn, accurate kind of throw into the pin? Is it something flat and straight, hyzer, anhyzer? Yeah, Heiser. Heiser. It gives it. I think it has a better margin of error. Now, if it's a right-left wind, 
I would switch to a forehand just because I'd rather the disc be put down than mm. just blown away. But if it's like a yeah. little flight wind, even a headwind, I'd rather throw it on hyzer. Because even if you release early, it's just a little left. You release too late, it's going to go a little high and then just crash in. So it's a good miss. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you're aiming, I think you touched on it a little bit, mm -hmm. but like, what are you aiming for? Do you have a circle around the basket? You're like, eh, as mm -hmm. long as I land in, and land in here, it'll be okay. Or are you trying to run everything or mm -hmm. kind of walk me through your decision? calculus? No, I don't, I don't, if I'm running it, it was probably an accident. Um, I, it depends on the Frisbee. So like we'll pick just a PA three just to kind of keep it simple. So they don't have much of a finish. Like they probably only, I mean, they really, I, if I'm throwing a PA three, I'm aiming about 10 feet to the right of the basket. And I know my margin of error is going to be on the left, right wind side. So I'm not, I'm, I'm picking a spot. I'd rather, I want to see the disc hit its peak and then drop. Like I want to have its awareness of where I need it to land, but I want to actually think I need my disc to start hyzering out at this point. And that's what oh. I look at. So I don't, I'm, I'm aware of landing zones, but I'm not looking at the landing zone because then you accidentally throw at the landing zone. Oh, okay. 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 So you have that landing zone in your head, mm -hmm. but you're not looking at that because when you look at that, you're aiming for that landing mm -hmm. zone, which is a higher probability of missing the landing mm -hmm. zone. Yep. And so like wow. the more stable the disc, the more right I go. And of course, if you have to throw something that's right, left, and you're a backhand uh, thrower, you just keep aiming right. You're like, if this is a 10 mile an hour wind, it's gonna swing my disc like 50 feet. So you have to aim 50 feet to the right. Cause if, if anything, if you're too far right, you're on tailwind side, so it's a win-win. That's true. That is very true. Okay. I, we are going to continue this discussion in the bonus podcast over on our Patreon, patreon.com backslash chain clankers. If you want to hear more from Caroline, head over there right now, as well as, uh, it is March. So we have our OTB box giveaway. So you want to make sure you're supporting over there. That way you can be entered to win those four amazing discs over there. Caroline, this has been so much fun. I know I've learned a ton. I am excited to go play disc golf tomorrow morning. So. I'm I'm very glad that we were able to do this. Where can people continue to follow you, connect with you, learn more about your journey? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I do most of my work through Instagram. So it'll be uh, Caroline underscore DG underscore 12. Awesome. Well, there we go. Hey, Caroline, thank you so much for coming on today's podcast. And we are looking forward to seeing you back out there at Waco. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was so fun.